Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, and as always with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. Beautiful day out and uh, another awesome Friday. Yes, awesome indeed. So we've got uh, a special guest here today, uh, Renee with Alice Technologies. Um, Renee, when you guys started telling us about what you guys are doing, and then I went back and watched you guys on the digital construction uh, webinar series. I was blown away, and I'm glad to have you on here. So before I geek out over you, I'll let you introduce yourself, sir. No, thanks so much. Good to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Renee. Uh, I'm a builder through and through. Uh, you know, I like to say, you, you name it, I've built it. Uh, my dad was in construction. Uh, when I graduated high school, he gave me a good piece of advice. Let's study anything you want, just don't do civil engineering. So obviously that's exactly the opposite of what he told me to do. Uh, You're such a rebel. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? If, if my kids rebel and go get an engineering degree, you know what? That's that's all right. I'll deal with that rebellion. <laughs> what I notice is like parents always find that to be a really funny joke, you know, and non-parents less so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anyways, I, I went to study civil engineering, uh, you know, went to Afghanistan, you know, worked for 13 months as a civil engineer. Uh, designed and built my own projects, uh, you know, really as a master builder, right? Got to, you know, be the master architect, master engineer, procured the jobs, and then built them, right, from scratch, A to Z. So that was a really, really special, I think, unique experience. Ended up doing a PhD at Stanford. I'm now an adjunct professor there. Uh, I like to joke, all, all the good guys were taken, so they got stuck with me. Um, so, yeah, I teach uh, AI for construction. So we've developed uh, this this theory, this technology, this, this software tool, right, over the last really 13 years for me, six on the PhD, six on the company. Uh, and, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, a, a brief background. And, and in our previous conversation, you had mentioned, like, you were developing this, I guess, as, like, some kind of a project. And your, your professor came to you and said, this isn't a project, this is a product, go sell it, or, or something to that effect. Yeah, so I was thinking around with it. Um, the funny thing is, like, I, I had never any inkling that this was going to be worth anything. I was having fun. I mean, I was working 16, 18, sometimes 20-hour days, like, in a lab, you know, and I was just like, hey, this is super cool. And I developed these prototypes, right, these little, you know, algorithms that would kind of crunch, like, you know, 100 tasks or something. I sort of showed it to my, you know, professor, and, and he goes, that's great, you know, go validate it with the project manager, right? And so um, what I did was I basically went and, and you know, I, I told him, like, hey, the project manager is in, in Amsterdam, right? And his response was, I don't care if he's on the moon, go validate it with a PM. So I was like, okay, well, I called the guys up. I was like, hey, you want a free week of consulting? And they're like, sure. So do you feel like paying for my ticket? And they said, sure. So I flew down there, showed it to the construction manager. And then, yeah, uh, you know, that, that was kind of when, when it hit me. 
right? I mean, he was looking at the the simulation, right, at, at the the output of the algorithm, and it was kind of a schedule, right? So he was sort of like he would pause the 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 video and say, okay, the software did this and did that and did this, and then when he was done, like I was I was like, holy cow, this thing knows how to build. Like it doesn't know how to build very well, but it knows how to build, you know. And I kind of got back on the plane, flew back across the Atlantic, sitting there like sipping a Heineken on on the flight, thinking like, holy cow, like this thing can build, you know. And I remember like coming back to to Stanford, like jumping up and down, like this thing can build, right? And like everyone's like, sure, sure, you sound crazy, like go back to the lab. And so you know, went back to the lab and started working on it. But that that that's how it that's how it came about, yeah. That's, that's awesome. uh, and, you know. Oh, sorry, Joe. I was going to say, um, I, I, there was one statistic that you threw out for us. There was a number that stuck with me since our last call, and it kind of blew me away. But at the same time, it made sense um, when you really looked at it. And wasn't it, uh, you said, 3% of a, uh, of, of a construction site is active at one time? Or is it 3%? What was that statistic you gave us? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, the thing about construction is it. it it's really it's the coolest thing in the world right and it's it's incredibly complicated incredibly fascinating right and there's this like people don't think so and i'm always like like you guys are nuts like you've got to look at the actual problems that we solve in construction right like you know anybody that's built you know uh you know 300 million 100 million whatever like these giant projects there's a lot of complex problems that you're solving to get this thing done right and so i was and there's millions of pieces everywhere. I mean, there's so many moving parts in a construction process. I mean, and you think about, I mean, just even with design itself and then pre-con and then into construction and think about, you know, I, I've been on many union jobs. And the interesting thing there is unions are very um, kind of focused in what their their lane is, right? Their, their, their jobs. And essentially, if they let's say that uh, an electrician is waiting on the, the HVAC so they can actually run some line. That's, that's literally time that they're sitting and waiting on you know, this, this other person or this other trade to finish. And the thing that stuck out to me was a lot of times, you know, we as humans, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes it's like, you just don't think, hey, I could go over to this other part and I could start doing this or I could, other, I could start doing that. It's really not, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not normal well, for us to really it, think that way. You know what I mean? It comes, it comes down to one of the, what I think about when you're saying this and union, non-union doesn't matter, but like the, the aspect of logistics and um, poll planning and mic, you know, uh, micro scheduling and whatever you want to call it, last planner methodology, all that sort of stuff that goes into the logistical side of it scheduling people to fulfill certain tasks in a certain order and you know this one's beholden to this one a delay here causes ripples throughout and all that sort of stuff we're used to that side of stuff in construction but getting to a point where we can actually intelligently analyze and adapt analyze that data yeah 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 i mean i completely agree right i mean from my side like the 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 way that it sort of played out was I was in a construction site in Amsterdam, right? It was the, we were building the the ship the shipping terminal for cruise ships, right? And so um, the project at the time was six weeks late. It was like fifty thousand euros per day, and these guys are yelling at each other, right? You know, I mean that's that's the profit margin that's kind of been eaten up on the job, and you know anybody that's been there knows that that's really when people dig their heels in, right? 
And so, you know, this guy's, you know, yelling like, I can't work any faster. I can't work any faster. I look outside the, the window and there's, you know, six people in 100,000 square foot of empty space. So it's like, you know, hit me like a lead brick. I was like, you got to be kidding, right? Like construction sites are empty. Right. And I, you know, when I thought back and I looked at all the projects I'd been on, you know, which at the time was already, you know, 15 or 20 jobs, suddenly realized, like, literally drive down a, a road, you know, a highway, look at any any job, just pick one, right? And it's empty. Like, you never look at a construction project where it's, like, full, right? And so I sort of started measuring construction space usage, right? We took pictures, right? Every 20 minutes, we take a photo, right? And we'd count how many people were, were in those photos, right? And how many people were in zones, right? And so we each four columns was a zone, right? One bay was a zone. And so we found 3% of construction space is used for construction. And so that was sort of the original comment that you're making, right? Which is, it was like, wait a minute, you know, our, our, our asset utilization in construction is 3%. Like, you, you, you've got to be able to make that bigger, right? And so that was sort of the... Yeah. Uh, the, the original kind of insight, right? Um, the the other stuff that you guys were talking about is, you know, and, and that, you know, I was also sort of mentioning is that uh, I remember, you know, a construction site that I was on, $350 million gas refinery, you know, off, off Abu Dhabi, right? And that project had 2 million documents that would be generated over, over its lifetime. 2 million documents, which is kind of crazy, right? You were, we were burning through at the peak of it, I think it was $1.8 million per day, right? You have 6,000 people out there. So to your point, like you have 2 million documents, 6,000 people, right? Over, you know, what is it? Two, two and a half, maybe three years, depending on, you know, what they added to the job, right? Every single one of those people needs tasks, needs processes, needs safety, needs quality. Like the scale of the problem is just mind boggling, right? And and what our you know our industry has has you know the the weapons you know given to go fight this war so to speak is is you know bar charts you know like you, you've got to be kidding me mm-hmm. right yeah I mean here's a here's a question to the listeners right take a guess at how many lines of code it takes to write up a CPM algorithm right how many lines of code do you need to write up a CPM algorithm Think about it for a little bit. The answer is 16, one, six, 16 lines of code. And basically you're taking those 16 lines of code and then trying to, you know, manage $350 million, $2 million per day, 6,000 people, 2 million documents. Like that's what you're trying to, that's the, the size of the problem that you're trying to, you know, put into that CPM algorithm, right? And that's, unsurprising that the yeah people don't have a lot of faith in 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 current construction tools right i love when people come to me and like i tell people the industry i'm in they're like oh you're in aec construction yeah sure and they think of that as like this blue collar swinging a hammer nine to five you know or you know seven to six whatever you know extended hours you got overtime all that fun stuff you're you're swinging your hammer you're you're digging your ditches and all that sort of stuff and i gotta tell them like you don't understand the level of awesome technology and problems that are going on right now in construction that technology is solving 
Um, it's it's yep. mind-boggling. We're getting to a place where generative design is more commonplace. We're tying in BIM to SIM to asset infrastructure, GIS data. Like we're connecting cities. Like some really cool stuff that's happening, so that we can get to a future planning uh, standpoint where we can uh, figure out you know the lowest cost and lowest uh, uh, impact to an area to build a new facility, lowest lowest impact to existing infrastructure. Like this is happening right now and. They're like, oh, I had yep. no idea. So, I mean, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, that, yeah, like a, uh, I'm almost like allergic. Like that hits a nerve for me, right? Like when people are like, oh, construction is sophisticated, or like they think of you. And I've, you know, everyone in construction has experienced it, right? You know, people ask you, like, what do you do? You're like, oh, I'm in construction. They think like, oh, you guys are some unsophisticated lugs with like three shovels in the back of a pickup truck, you know? And you're like, no, trust me. <laughs> I, I swear to God, no. I, that's not what it looks like, right? But then the, no. the, the thing, the reason that, that we're in the situation, right? And the, the common misconception is like, oh, because people in construction are lazy or because they're they're dumb or because they're you know, not sophisticated or whatever that kid is. That's BS, right? And I've said this before. The reason that's the case is that our field is, is solves problems that are bigger and more sophisticated than other fields. It's taken this long for the computers to catch up. The first things to get digitized was finance. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, how difficult is that, right? You got some numbers in one account and you move them in another account. That's, yeah, that, that's what digitizing finance is like, right? I mean, that, that's easy. For us, we had to wait for we had to wait for design to get digitized, you know. And and by the way, the technology, like like this is an absolute proof point of of, of what I'm saying. The technology for digitizing design, which is parametric object oriented, has been around since the 80s. It's been done in mechanical engineering, right? Archicad, which was a, a BIM tool, right, was was done in the 80s, right? The problem was the processing speeds weren't fast enough, right? That was the issue, and they didn't catch up till really 2010, and that's when you know you could start digitizing design, which is it did happen, right? 2009, when I started my PhD, people were still asking. I remember one of the big questions was how big is your BIM file? That was kind of the big thing, right? 2015, it started to become mainstream. So it's like, okay, well, we finally got to the point where the computers have been able to digitize design, the input to construction. Now let's see if we can go, you know, digitize construction. So we didn't really have a choice. We could not, the, the, the machines, you know, technology was not strong enough to go do this, right? And, you know, unsurprisingly, you know, 2015 is when I kind of think that, you know, design started to get digitized. Surprise, surprise, 2017, the VCs wake up and go, oh, my God, construction's the next big thing and start, you know, throwing, dumping lots and lots of money, you know. And, and, and you know, you guys remember that 2017 era when there was like this, you know, boom of, of construction investment, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think it's it's kind of all over the board for construction. And, you know, I, I was going to go back into – um, talking about like the uses of, you know, BIM, a lot of times in construction, they, they see it for like a visualization tool, right? Or they, a lot of people you talk to say, oh, that's for the architects. You know, we, we need, we need our models, our, our CAD drawings or what, what be it right now. The interesting thing kind of tying back into computing is that I think now we're seeing as these models become more and more complex because buildings are construction is it's it's very complex with these different systems that we want to try to track and analyze you know owners want this data they want to be able to utilize that data 
and all of it. I mean, we want to be able to utilize all of the data, not just, you know, for handover, but even for the construction process itself. The problem is that we're running into nowadays is that our, comp our computers, our hardware itself doesn't seem strong enough to be able to keep up with a lot of it. So what are we doing? We're pushing it to the cloud. And I think that's the next huge kind of push that we're seeing, especially now is that push to cloud computing, right? We're trying to figure out how we can manage these big chunks of data, these huge BIM models or these, these converted, you know, NWCs, NWFs, these federated models that are used for clash and coordination. Like <clears throat> some of these models are huge. And I just think, I think that's the next kind of piece of it is figuring out as, you know, we go more towards digitization, as we see more of the MEP contractors, more of the structural engineers and contractors, you know, design build firms are actually going and utilizing this BIM data and these BIM models. I, I think it's just going to, you know, make it show even more that we we do have that problem. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and you know, again, what you're saying, right, is that the, the, the cloud, right, cloud, BIM, you know, parametrization, like, uh, heavy duty optimization like this stuff you know notice that these are all of the things that we've needed to digitize construction right you know when you look at our field you know think of how many people have to interact with a given design before it goes get gets built how many different types of companies how many different types of people right so the fact that it's in the cloud and update itself wasn't a good to have and in my opinion it was almost a must have right that didn't really start happening until, until the last five years. The the thing that's really the good news or the exciting news is that we have, in my mind, reached that um, like like critical mass of technology or tipping point or whatever you want to call it. Like we reached the point where there's enough. The tech has now caught up to the problem, and 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 you know the way that that I think the proof is that you're seeing companies like Alice, companies like. You know, Bridget, like Canvas, like Building Connected, like Plan Grid, like you know, each one of these is digitizing a piece of the puzzle. And and what you're noticing is it's not one company. Suddenly there's a whole bunch of them, right? That's telling you something, right? It wasn't one company that went off and sort of, you know, did this by themselves. It's like, wow, there's a whole ecosystem that's that's getting developed. And that's something yeah. that I really believe there's a there's a new ecosystem that's coming at us in construction. The fundamental value proposition of the field of, of a general contractor, for example, is going through a change. Definitely, definitely. And I, I mean, we've been seeing it now, as you kind of mentioned there, through the third party applications. But there's so many of them out there and we're seeing the need and, and the benefit for digitizing, you know, these reports such as dailies or timesheets or, you know, the, the safety inspections, what have you. You know, there's there's so much data that's involved with a construction process, like a project. It's not just, you know, what gets put in, the hammer gets swung, these, you know, studs get thrown up, we got drywall over the top of it. No, it's actually what, you know, RFIs are created, what potential change orders are going to pop up, how's this going to affect our schedule? You know, it, there's so many different things for materials getting delivered to, you know, actual scheduling of things getting installed is all writing. I mean, it all kind of evolves around it's constantly moving and constantly changing and it, it's it's very it's very complex right it's very complex to digitize but i think the more that we can you know and i, I definitely agree with you we've reached that point but the more that we can adapt into that the more that we can give into technology and the more that we see the uses of the data such as you know our bim data with all the parameters of every element inside of that model if we can start analyzing that data 
right? Especially when we're combining, combining all of that together. You know, we've already seen it with coordination or clash detection, right? We're starting to see these models come together and starting to have a lot of communication there that, that also helps downstream. But you know what? We've seen a lack on planning, on logistics and planning. And I think that the more that we really start to, again, push into that and the more that we realize how we can use these different schedules or these different parameters of this BIM data, you know, I, I really feel like it's just going to push us further and it's just going to push more and more into, you know, making these construction sites, you know, let's say safer, let's say better, you know, organized and maybe sticking to the schedules a little bit better. And you know what? The, the interesting thing about a construction schedule, this is kind of the thing that gets me, is usually they're very hard. They have these milestones. They want, you know, these to hit. And it's always interesting how, you know, thinking back to the construction project itself, how it's always changing and, you know, something could be late and that something being late is going to set off a whole nother project after that or another, you know, assembly coming in or what have you. It's interesting how I, I think we need something like that to be able to analyze some like that gap and say, okay, you know, this is changing here. This delivery is going to be scheduled on this date. Why don't we go ahead and actually do this where we had it later, a little bit later or a little bit after this, you know, scheduled item, let's put it here. You know, in that sense, typically, you know, that's a person, that's a dedicated job. But if we can use some algorithms, if we can use the data, kind of as you're talking about with Alice, and some of these other, you know, companies that are out there analyzing that data and then giving you a, you know, an idea of where to start and, and go, tying back to Joey's generative design comment. Like, how can we better approach this moving forward? What are our different options and how is this going to affect us downstream? I mean, honestly, with that approach, I think you're setting yourself up for success right from the beginning. Yeah, it, the thing that that I've I've heard you say so many sort of good points, right? But I like the the way that we've started to see it at Alice, right? Is is it's more it's not AI but IA, right? And what I mean by that is that it's not intelligence, it's not artificial intelligence, but intelligence augmentation, right? And more and more, what what these algorithms and and this technology is doing is that enables you, the human to focus on, on where you add value the most. And humans add the most value in communicating, collaborating, analyzing, right? Uh, assessing, using their gut sense. That's what humans are great at, right? Humans don't tend to be really good at crunching, you know, 30,000 variables in their head, right? And so what we've done with Alice is, is Alice is much more than a, a scheduling tool. Alice is a simulating tool. That's a, a very core, you know, major difference between what we have and what's, you know, anything else out there, right? Um, what we're doing is we're basically able to simulate a construction project. And so anytime there's one of these changes, right, like you add a crane, there's a delay, you want to resequence, you just change those variables, put in the system, press the button, and the system will automatically update it for you, right? And so, so what, yeah. what kind of variables does your system intake, or does it? are you looking for with Alice? Anything you want. That's the thing about it. It's it's a, it's an all or nothing game. And so if you have a simulation, right? So this is the th this is one reason why it took us so long to crack it, right? Um, and the way I explain it is, is think of AutoCAD, right? Anybody that's used AutoCAD, you know, my, when I was 15, my, my dad totally ruined my summer. I thought I should spend it learning how to skateboard and he thought I should spend it learning, you know, how to do AutoCAD. 
And so, you know, I spent the summer learning AutoCAD, but I, I remember at the time, like, if you were, you know, using AutoCAD, right, and, you know, there was a, a there, you know, you can draw a circle, you can draw a square, you can draw, you can chamfer, you can rotate, you can scale, and all the, the other sort of functions in it. Imagine that somebody gave you an AutoCAD tool that did not have the circle. And so you'd, you'd think to yourself, okay, well, I've got to, you know, I, I want to draw this building, and it has circular columns, and you don't have a circle. And I'd be like, yeah, but I've got, you know, everything else. I've got squares, and I've got triangles, and I've got, you know, rotate, and I've got chamfer, and I've got trim, and I've got all these other tools. And you're like, yeah, but I need a circle. And that's very similar to the Alice universe, right, which is that, you know, for us, you know, I would say, hey, I, you know, I got this great simulation, right, and here's the schedule output. Right. And, it, and it's perfect. I just didn't account for the cranes. It's like, well, who cares? I mean, if you didn't, the cranes affect everything else. Right. And so the answer to the question of which variables can you change, there's been over two years that there hasn't been a variable or constraint we haven't been able to put in the system. So, for example, you could change. Uh, you, you, the way it works is we've separated planning from scheduling. Right. And, and now we've re referred to it as planning and simulating. So the schedule is just one viewpoint of the simulation. The estimate is a viewpoint of the simulation. The 40 is a viewpoint of the simulation, right? And so the, the advanced analytics we can generate is another view of the simulation. But you separate the rules that govern your project from the solution to those rules. And so the rules, right, is, is basically, you don't realize it, but the things that you're setting up are exactly the things you can change. And so calendars, cranes, crane radii, crane locations, movement of cranes, uh, material availability, whether it's a consumable, reusable, or supplyable material. Um, uh, design. You can upload a new design, copy the rules from the old design, and hit resimulate. Super, super powerful, uh, you know. Uh, uh, multiple shifts, uh, delays, uh, on-site versus prefab, and so on and so forth, right? And so... Um, you these are all the variables that you can you can change right? these are some variables i'd love to like just get some raw numbers on too seeing um uh how the you know crane placement impacts stuff or see how um uh the well for one how prefab stacks up against on-site uh in situ you know construction mm -hmm. yeah you, you know the here's the numbers that, that i can tell you right so something we've noticed at stanford over the last 20 plus years and this is from you know folks before me right but like if you run something in, a, in an algorithm lots and lots of different times you generate lots of solutions with a with a computer and you compare it to humans you'll tend to see about a 30 percent improvement right and that's kind of the, the numbers that we'll sort of get with alice right um and it's interesting it's really you know you'll start seeing interesting patterns right you'll notice that um you know unsurprisingly one of the major you know, one of the parameters, right, with the biggest impact is resources, right? And so um, the, um, again, what's surprising is people don't want to think about resources. So like, what, what do you mean? You know, if you are going to go dig a trench and you're going to dig it with 10 people or two people, that's probably going to affect how much it's going to cost to dig the trench, how long it's going to dig, dig the trench, right? But in our field, People figure out the resource resources in the estimate, and then they go execute the schedule. Take a wild guess at how many times there's a there's a disconnect between those two. 
uh, 99% of the time. Absolutely. <laughs> every, single time, every single time we've done it, you know, and it's almost like, oh, no, but 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 the estimator figured out the resources. It's like, okay, but then you're, you're executing the schedule, right? Yes. Um, have you looked at the schedule and resource loaded it? No. Well, well, why are you convinced then that the the resources in the estimate are the right resources to to pursue the job with, right? And so the interesting thing is that that folks will tend to get like the durations of the schedule correct. It's just that the the resources required to get to that duration haven't been figured out. And you know what what will happen is folks on site will start to piece this together. Right. I think it boils down to on estimation, right? Is we estimate to win a job, um, we win that job with the lowest bid or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we 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 kind of short ourselves, you know, knowing that our competition's probably bidding three people to do this piece and three people to that piece, and you're thinking, oh well, we're better, we're faster, we can do it with you know two here or two there, um, you know, whatever. But no matter what that's the estimation side. The estimation is, is really the part that we use to win the job. It's not really accountable. It should be accountable, right. For, for, for going long-term with it, because, Hey, look, we could finish this job 30 days sooner. Um, if we had, uh, you know, an extra 10 people working this, this, this part of it or whatever, you know, whatever, right. I'm throwing out the hypotheticals, but in the hospitality, you know, I've done hospitals and hotels. It's all about butts and beds. We want to get, get to that end date a lot faster. If you can, you know, let me open a month earlier, um, you've just saved, you know, that, that right there pays for your extra 10 people or whatever it is, you know, like there's a lot of fine tuning stuff that I guess really needs to be accounted for on the front end, but really it's just a problem that we try to solve during the middle. And I think that's probably the big issue now. And with what you're doing, well, Renee, you have a pre-construction application, I believe, you know, for estimating this stuff as well as like during construction, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's that's got to be the future of it is getting to that. Like, let's actually play with the metrics and see, look, I can save you time here. I can save you money here. I've got a resource load here. We got to put a few cranes here. Um, and this is the best overall simulation for for our project. And if you think about it in terms of generative design, you've get kicked out 10,000 iterations of the same design. Pick three that, you know, meet your criteria and let's go with the one that you you approve. If we can get there with simulations, like have all these advanced simulations run based on a number of criteria and factor. And all we got to do is pick the best one. I mean, I feel like this has got to be the evolution of construction as we know it. It, it is. I think so, too. I really think so, too. And I, I, I wanted to add in there that. You know, the other thing that you don't really think about a lot of times, you know, with resources is materials, right? I mean, actual actually scheduling out the materials and knowing we're learning this with COVID right now, man. There's like a 300% freaking increase over the past year and a half just for yeah, yeah. And a lot of this stuff, I mean, you can't, you can't, like nobody knows, right? A lot of this was was coming, and and nobody knows that the steel manufacturer had a shutdown or you know blew a pipe or something, and they're down. I think that. Really, another thing that has to come to construction and um, kind of in, in general is that kind of that ebb and flow mindset, that that being kind of fluid in the sense of, you know, not staying so hard on these contract dates, maybe maybe focusing more on, yeah, the the, the end date and, you know, the overall project like budget. But in, at the same time, like trying to figure out, you know, through 
maybe generative design algorithms, whatever we can utilize to figure out, okay, we've run into a roadblock that we didn't foresee. What is our best option moving forward? How can we move around this? How can we adapt and overcome, right? And, and, and really that's where I think the next kind of portion of construction is gonna push into. So somebody sort of said, hey, it's like Google Maps. Uh, you know, and I was like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, think about it, right? You, you know, let's say you want to drive from, you know, San Francisco down to Palo Alto, right? And so there's two main highways. There's a 101 and a 280, right? Yes, sir. You, you, you know that, that, you know, the 101 gets you there fast. It's five minutes faster, right? But there happens to be an accident on a 101, right? And so Google automatically updates and says, you know, take the 280, right? Or alternatively, you're driving down the 101 and it says, you know, here, you know, you like... What I'm trying to say is that as you're moving forward, right, it's good to have a system that can dynamically update and 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 change itself with respect to um, with respect to um, like you know reality on site. Active data, right? Yeah. 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 Heck yeah. So, so we've gotten to a point where we have procurement management uh, uh, departments. They specialize in this. They focus on supply managing the supply chain. But the issue is. It kind of gets back to what you were saying earlier, Renee. The human can't compute 3,000 variables at any given time. We can't even do 10 at the same time, man, uh, without a whiteboard in front of us. Um, and to, to get to that level, you really need some kind of automation. I know Oracle and all these other big companies are trying to solve this. But as we move through uh, procurement, there really has to be that supply chain management focus. And I know COVID's actually thrown a lot on the supply chain, not to harp on the COVID bug, but we're now seeing like large companies that were technology focused. Um, I'm referencing Katera here and, you know, on that same front, like we work and all that sort of stuff that came out of um, like we're a technology. We've got a great technology platform, specifically thinking of Katera, and they're leading with technology to solve um, supply chain management so that they can uh, be efficient in construction and COVID just crippled them. Like it just pulled the rug out from underneath them. And I'm speaking probably beyond more than I understand with, with uh, Katera's uh, situation there. But um, it, I, I do, I think that the the supply chain uh, issue has got to be one of the most pivotal things that we solve looking back now. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, two things. One, you know, when, when something like Katera happens, it's, it's, I think a sad day for everybody. You know, I, I've always said that our field needs, you know, uh, 20 more Kateras, you know, and, and 200 more Alice's, right? Um, it's it's going to take a lot of work from a lot of people, you know. Um, you guys are, are putting, you know, incredible work into spreading the word and, and, and you know, uh, spreading sort of the innovation in our field. There's, um, you know, high-level executives at various of these construction companies that are really pushing the envelope. There's individual contributors, schedulers, planners, estimators, project engineers, superintendents. Like, it will take a lot of people doing this kind of work. And so I always think it's it's a shame when, when something like uh, what happened to Katera, you know, happens, right? Um, but that said, in terms of the, the, the supply chain, like, the biggest problem in any resource-intensive industry is fixed capacity, right? And, you know, what the, the, the digitization of our field is going to enable is moving that capacity around. So, you know, you have, say, 200 carpenters uh, at your company, right? And, you know, you need, you know, 200 of them on this job today, 
but only 40 tomorrow. What do you do with the remaining 160, right? And that's kind of a, a crude example. But if you can start shifting capacity, for example, you know, 10% of the overhead of a concrete batching facility is, is council contracts. And so if I can move that, you know, 10% around to who needs it, and I can jump on the de demand side and I can say, hey, you think that you need that concrete first thing in the morning on Monday, but the truth of the matter is if you got it, you know, on Thursday afternoon, you'll be totally okay. It won't affect your schedule, right? And connecting the sort of real world um, need or change to a digital system that can update itself and move capacity around, you know, I think is going to unlock tremendous, tremendous uh, potential. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it would, again, kind of change our industry, change construction in general, and really help to kind of, you know, another another push we're seeing right now is, is connection and unification, like really getting everybody involved into, let's say, a common data environment or a single source of truth, just getting everybody access and getting everybody involved, whether they're, you know, estimators or their designers or their owners or, you know, their GCs, VD, whatever it is, we're trying to get everyone connected. And even the supply chain, I feel like that is another portion that really needs to be connected for that communication, right? They need to understand, you know, well, actually they need communication. They need to be talking about what they have and what they can do and what's going and what's changing as these other construction processes and other projects are going on and changing and I, I completely agree. If you can have something, analyze it and, and you know, find those stop gaps and figure out where we can benefit one project to help get them back on track, whereas it's not going to affect another. That's that's awesome. And I think it's really just, uh, gosh, innovative. There it is. It's, it's innovative. It really is. It's happening. It's not, not, it's not even like, will it? It's happening literally under our feet. You know, like what's happening in construction today is is the equivalent of like the Internet, you know. It's nuts. It's it's literally the most innovative period in construction in the last two millennia. And and what's super cool is that, you know, for anybody that's that's looking, it's it's a it's a wave. And for those that are riding the wave, there's going to be a substantial you know reward at the end of it. And believe me, it's not a one person or one company show. You no. need there's an ecosystem. It's you you know like here's you know what I'm seeing right like you know. Uh, Eric Law at Swinerton, right? I was looking at, you know, the way that he's, like, you know, the, the general contractor of the future is going to be successful based on three things. Their ability to um, identify, evaluate, and integrate cutting-edge technology, right? And so you're seeing, like, oh, like, is the only way to, to kind of ride the wave of, like, founding another company? No, absolutely not, right? In fact, you know, you can think of all of these companies as your own personalized R&D departments, Right? This so is like, okay, great. How do we then, you know, integrate and access this stuff and build out a platform internally at, at my company, right? Because like, you know, I've sometimes thought about it like, okay, if I wasn't doing Alice, what would I be doing? Like right now, I'm like, heck, I'd go in and found some, some, you know, subcontracting company, right? That was literally using three or four of these like bleeding edge technologies, stitch them together and, and you know, undercut my competitors, right? And so, you know, the, you you know you guys are, are you know doing the, the the podcasts right and and riding you know that wave of, of disseminating the knowledge right but there's just such an incredible opportunity for everybody involved and that's like when somebody comes to me and they're like oh you're like AI is going to take our jobs I'm like just like how <laughs> right like, <laughs> yeah no 
I mean, I, I swear to God, it, it, I wish that was the case and sometimes, right? Because you look at the <laughs> last hundred years, you look at the last hundred years of technological evolution, right? Are we working less hours? No. Like, you know, when you look at like, you know, architects, right? You know, there would be like, you know, hundreds of architects, you know, that were creating blueprints, copies, right? And we, oh, we created copies. Are architects out of a job? No. Email, right? How many, how many people would spend time writing, you know, letters, right? And, and mailing them, right? Like, we're not working any less, right? And, and, no. and the technology is not letting us work any less, right? It's like, to the contrary, the name of the game is how do you control more machines? Because these machines don't have a consciousness, I assure you. There is nothing in Silicon Valley <laughs> that is remotely close to it. They're, the algorithms are getting smarter and they're getting niftier, but the truth of the matter is that they're just dumb algorithms, right? And the, the thing about an algorithm is, is it's focused on one problem. The human yeah. brain is capable of solving complex problems and thinking beyond algorithms Thinking beyond input, and, and uh, you're always going to need a human there. There's always got to be somebody that's calling and and steering um, that sort of stuff. At least, you know, you know, fingers crossed for the next 50 years. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, you know, my my thought process on that has always been what what goes away kind of comes back around in one way, shape, or form, right? So oh, in yeah. this case, if artificial intelligence, you know, puts a designer of, of a specific, you know, area out. Okay, fine. But how can you learn to integrate with that instead of just being out and trying to stick with that? Can you learn the code? How can you learn? Because at that point, if you have the knowledge, if you have the understanding of how these things come together, guess what? You can make that better. You can use that knowledge, that experience to make that software, to make that intelligence better, because that's what it doesn't have. You know, a lot of those algorithms, they need to constantly change and evolve. I have two anecdotal stories for that. So the first one is you were there. It was probably AU maybe three, four years ago, I think. I'm sure you had to have been there. Um, There was the, the presentation. I think it was like IBM. And there was a person working with a robot in Germany. Uh. And they were uh, they were talking about how the robot actually helped them do more, but it didn't displace them in any way. It actually enabled them to be more efficient, and it still required that per- that person to be there. It didn't take anybody's job, didn't do anything, except for increase output, and allow them to keep up with demand demand that they didn't have resources for in the first place. So that's the first anecdotal story. The second one is. Um, I used to give this presentation, and I love it. I th- probably still have this PowerPoint deck on my my computer somewhere, where I would go to various BIM or you know various conferences, and I'd spew off about BIM and this idea of connected BIM, connected construction, what's coming with technology and 3D printing and uh, automating things on the construction side, and blah 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 blah. Right? I would go down this path, and I would talk about the needs. Um, you know, by was it 2033 or 20, no 2050? was what it was. Sorry. By 2050, we're expecting to see another like 2.7 billion people on the planet. We have to fix the ailing infrastructure as well as keep up with the demand for the growing, uh, um, the, you know, the, the growing um, infrastructure and, and uh, housing and, and business and all that sort of stuff that goes with that. Um, and it was some insane number. Like we had to build like 100 
hundred story buildings and like, you know, whatever. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head. So this is our podcast. Don't quote us on don't statistics. Quote, don't quote us on statistics. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I have the statistics somewhere. Some some insane number of how many, how much we had to build to account for that growth in a shortened span, a certain span of time. And it was crazy. And the funny thing about that same presentation is I always reference Katera and the rapid growth and how they use technology to solve it. So I, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I got to lower my head a little bit because I love talking about that, that, uh, that piece. But, but anyways, that, that story holds true. Like, um, I can't tell you how many companies I go into and every one of them is like, we're struggling to train, we're struggling to to uh, uh, find qualified people like, you know, we're getting involved with schools at a younger age We're we're trying to do everything we can to steer them towards the construction industries, whether that's civil architectural engineering or construction subcontractor unions, whatever you, you name it. They're trying to get people involved sooner to get them in there because we are seeing a labor shortage. We really are. And I can tell you, you can talk to any electrical contractor in the country. Every one of them is going to tell you there's a they 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 do have a labor shortage. That is like probably the most in demand right now. Yeah, um, but I tell you what, I I I've seen that labor shortage, you know, and and this is kind of one of those I think kind of points of where um, I don't know today, you know, construction as you guys kind of noted earlier, a lot of people tend to think of you're swinging a hammer or you're running lines, you're running conduit cable trays, or you're throwing up duct, you know, things like that. But we've reached that turning point with digitization of construction where, you know, Joey, you and I talk about this quite a bit and I, I love it, but, you know, bringing younger and different people in from different backgrounds into construction through technology, you know, a lot of times, like I said, it's not just swinging a hammer anymore. It's, making these awesome 3D models and, and, you know, maybe these renderings or you're using the VR goggles or AR goggles, you're walking through facilities and helping with layout or, you know, it's the the mixed reality. There's, you know, coding. There's so many different ways to get into construction now, you know, the way that it has evolved. I think again, it's it's bringing maybe it's, it's allowing us to bring a lot of people in. Maybe it's two pronged, right? There's an education component that goes with it to know how a building's built. You've got to yeah. know how to swing that hammer or a nail gun, whatever. You've got to know how to do this. So maybe it's like an apprenticeship program. You go through well, and like for the first year, you're learning this trade or you're learning this or you're learning this. But at the end of it, we're we're slowly introducing technology, and at the end, you know how a building gets built, so you know how to think about it in terms of the design process, how to how to actually conceptualize things in the terms of, of digitization. Yeah, but I also think that's where applications like Renee's come in, you know, if they have the experience to run these algorithms to know what could potentially happen on construction projects, what hap- you know, what goes where typically, you know, I think that that's where, you know, the generative design, Dynamo, you know, anything like that, this coding front that is really pushing into our different design applications is really going to help to pick that up because we are you know, we're seeing that, but a lot of the older, um, you know, older, older generations are retiring out. And unfortunately, some of them aren't really helping with apprenticeships and things like that. They, you know, yeah. they retire, which I understand that's completely fine, but that's, that's that experience that you lose. And it I is, feel like if we can take that experience and add it into the technology, put that into the algorithms with that generative design or dynamo scripts or what have you, you can really, again, use that data and start alleviating the so, need to, you know, for these different designers to completely understand, 
you know, I know I want them to, and eventually, yes, we want them to fully understand. So they, they get, you know, they can rely less and less on other things, but at the same time, if you can supplement that, if you can shorten that learning curve and help, uh, you know, beginning newcomers design, you know, awesome buildings, it's, it's going to build their confidence and it's going to, it's going to make the industry better itself. So, so Renee, this is something I'd love to get your opinion on. Like, so I've chatted with uh, an architect who it's actually a buddy of friends of buddy of yours, Dave, who was an architect. He's great at programming and now he works for GC. I don't know if he still works there, but he did. And he said he learned so much working on the construction side. And again, I chatted with a, a, a GC, uh, like CFO, CEO, a C-suite, whole suite, C-suite team. And I was asking them, I was like, so why are your, your project engineers doing this sort of stuff and using this technology, but your superintendents are still filling out forms and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, they were like, our superintendents make sure that the buildings get built. Their job is responsible. They know their stuff. They've got 30 something years of doing this. They've got this. Everything goes off without a hitch because these guys, I, if they don't want to learn the technology or do something else and they're comfortable doing something else, we're going to conform to them uh, to make that go along. And we'll just hire some young buck to enter that data later on. I don't care. We'll figure that out. So as like you're getting to the part where it's like, OK, you know, the the technology people that that understand technology from one point move into uh, construction. Like, do you feel like that's maybe a better flow or do you feel like siloing it? I'm just curious what your perspective on how to get the best integration uh, to get people more involved, more firms involved with technology as a whole and a holistic manner, not just for the short term, but getting them through a project for the long term. Um, is the question, um, could you, I'm sorry, I know it's not a question. Could you repeat it? <laughs> this is what happens when you drink uh, two 16 ounce beers and you just start to ramble. So I apologize. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, guys, I'm drinking uh, IPA number 16 from Collective Arts. You guys should check it out. Um, so uh, my question was, how do you foresee in a, in a ask this in a really roundabout way, and I apologize. Um, how do you foresee getting people involved into this point to adopt technology when we're still stuck with um, processes that are kind of antiquated? So maybe it takes an architect or somebody who's technology savvy going to work for a GC that maybe isn't as, uh, does stuff in a more traditional sense um, or maybe the, you know, the, the gentlemen that are there that are doing things in their own way, aren't adopting technology. What is that path? Like, what do you think is going to take for everybody to move to, uh, um, the next evolution of construction technology so that we can start implementing this? I still know firms that aren't doing anything with BIM or SIM or even managing the data. The, the most important, important part of it is the data. So like, how, how do you foresee like the next evolution of this so that we can get more people using a platform like yours you know i, I don't think construction is special in that regard right um here's a here's a here's a bunch of facts that have been you know constant through through for our species throughout history right uh people don't like to change right uh, i don't care who you are where like most people do not like to change right um if you know i came to you and said hey what i want you to do is 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 you know carry around a, a brick-sized object, you know, you know, all day, every day, you'd be like, you're nuts, I'm not going to do that, right? But the truth is that, that you know, as change happens, you know, a mobile phone, for example, right? But like, 
if you look at you know the the car or the manufacturing industry in the in the 80s right and that's what's happening in construction is what happened to manufacturing in the 80s right i'm sure if you went to a lot of these factories back then and said hey we're going to give you guys you know cutting edge you know technology right um a lot of folks would have said the exact same thing like i've been doing this for 30 years and i don't need you know no technology and i know exactly what to do right so that's you know point one right which is people don't like to change point two right is that um People are also, um, I don't know, maybe you want to call it greedy, maybe you want to call it opportunistic, but in, in every field in the world, there are people that, that want to push the envelope, right? That want to gain a competitive advantage. People are competitive, right? And so in construction, just like in other fields, there are people out there that are willing to go through the risk, right? They will push, right, to basically, um, you know, achieve um, a competitive advantage through innovation, right? And, you know, most people think of innovation as like, oh, it's this like fluffy, fun thing. It, it kind of is, right? A lot of people, you know, everybody loves innovation, right? The truth of the matter, though, is like my view on innovation is maybe a little bit different than that sort of, that kind of classical idea, right? Which is that innovation tends to be painful, tends to be risky. Uh, you will face, you know, um, disruptive. People- yeah, people will laugh at you. People will make fun of you, right? Uh, people look down upon you, especially when it fails, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, and, and I always say, like, one of the signs of success is how everybody told you they were, that they were part of it. And one of the signs of failure is how everybody told you, told you, you know, that you shouldn't have done it, right? But, like, I think Jeff Bezos has this sort of quote, which is, like, innovation, you know, all you really need to do is, is the ability to, like, ignore everyone else and do something that's uncomfortable, Right? And so to answer your question, um, as our field progresses, uh, I do believe that there are enough people out there that want to grasp technology, that want to use it, that are willing to take the risks for it, right? And are willing to take, you know, the the failures that come with it, right? Because the innovation is not just in creating the tool, right, whether it's Alice or anything else, but also imp- implementing it. You know, we've been working with clients where over the course of two years, they've learned how do we change our processes? How do we implement it? How do we integrate it, right? It's kind of like, sure, you can invent the, the, the machine gun, right? But how do you train people to use it, right? How many how many ammo clips do you carry? How you clean, you know, the machine gun? How do you, you know, what you know, formation do you put, you know, soldiers in? So that's, you know, always the case, right? It's just another tool. And to answer your question, like, as we move forward, companies that are adopting these technologies will have a technological advantage. I have seen it, right? And, you know, there will be, you know, there is room for the laggards and there is room for the folks that are sort of, you know, somewhere in the middle, right? But um, again, if you are not using this technology, it, it is not possible, right? And it would be a mistake to think that you're going to wake up in the morning and just be like, oh, let's 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 implement it, right? Like, oh, we're, we're not using BIM or digitization or field management or whatever the heck it is, cloud or you know, and then suddenly we're going to wake up tomorrow and, and do that, right? It, it is not a switch you can you can flick, right? It takes takes some time. And so as others, you know, as, as a technology becomes more and more used, you know, everybody around you, you know, starts using it. You don't have a choice but to use it yourself. And that pattern has stayed the same regardless of field, regardless of time, regardless of, of anything, right? Like, A, people don't want to change. B, people do want a competitive advantage, and so they're going to push through the pain of change, right? And the question is, is the, um, the, the, the advantage, 
right? Does, does, the, does, the, does the, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Is the advantage that you gain yeah. at the end of that change what? worth the pain of the change, right? That's from a movie, yeah. that quote, is the juice worth the squeeze. Could be. Yes, it is. Could be. But yeah. Um, so I, what I would say to that is I, com- I completely agree. It's I, what the, the trend that I've seen for adoption of such, you know, workflows such as pushing data up to the cloud, collaborating, you know, clash detection, model coordination in the cloud. I've seen this a lot of times pushed by, you know, the general contractor or whoever's running the site. If it's the owner, you know, what have you, if they're using it, then a lot of times, you know, they want their project partners to use it. And at that point, you know, it starts expanding from there and they, and, you know, the usage kind of goes out if you see the benefit, you know, um, but another big thing that I really wanted to touch on you know, is kind of going back to those failures. It's learning. That's what that is, right? And I mean, if you really look at it, that's how we get the experience. You learn, you take those failures in stride, you know, and you just keep going. And I think that's another thing that we're seeing nowadays is a lot of people are, are you know, they're coming out of college or, you know, we have these younger guys that are managing these big construction projects and they're willing to look at this technology to see how it can help and really push the boundaries of, you know, what we're taking in as far as digital twins or as far as asset, you know, and parametric uh, or element parametric kind of measurements or scheduling. It's it's just, it really is awesome to see. And, oh, by the way, Joe, and for all of our listeners, I'm drinking a quaff on um, peanut butter busted knuckle. So it's a peanut butter porter. <laughs> Sounds gross. Sounds <laughs> it's amazing. Hideous. It's amazing. Um, I think getting back to that part, though, the, the the innovation really comes from complex problems. And it's something that we've struggled with in construction for so long. But we're just now getting to this point where I can't say just now, like uh, construction firms like DPR have been writing their own programs and implementing technology and processes, adopting lean methodologies and looking elsewhere to manufacturing segments and all that sort of stuff to solve these problems. And we're just now getting to the point where it's starting to become more mainstream. So innovation yep. is starting to come, I guess, a little bit more. It is. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the great thing about innovation, right? It's available to anybody, right? And, and you know, if you've got, you've, you've got the sort of guts to go, go ahead and, and go try it, right? And it's, it's well, never, yeah. you know, it's never like if you are an innovator, you know that that you're taking the path that's not been trodden, right? And there's questions there's that have that are not answered, right? You can't just Google, you know, how do I in, implement generative design, right? Even though that's slowly, slowly becoming sort of mainstream. But Alice is the first generative construction tool. I think that's a major shift for the industry, right? Because you you guys have said generative design a lot, but generative construction, what is it? <laughs> Yeah, it it's the, it's that next evolution, man. That's really what it is. Yeah. Everybody's doing generative design in some form or fashion. We're getting there with Dynamo scripts and mm-hmm. the Revit plugins and, you know, whatever, right? There's a little component yeah. of it. You guys are really at the forefront of all this and leading the way. So we're looking at you as the the kind of the industry leader here, like, hey, man, let, let's, uh, let's get more of this and, and find some bigger problems to tackle. I mean, I can tell you billion dollar project projects that are running into all kinds of headaches and um you know alice's i'm i'm excited to see what what comes of it what what this you guys you said you're meant you're you're 
what 13 years in the making you know six and some change for your for your degree and then another six in the business um you know six years isn't that long of a time for a business i'm looking to see man let's 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 really see some awesome projects come out of this i'm looking to to really get some uh, uh use cases out there and and uh, uh i i think this is going to blow some people's mind I do too. And I'd really like to coin that phrase too, generative construction. I think that, like you said, that's next level. I think, that I think is, Randy beat us to it. Yeah, he did. I think it's, it's already blowing some minds, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful, right? I mean, the ability to generate 600 million different ways of building something all valid, right? All that would, you know, pass the, you know, human kind of check, right? In the course of an afternoon, right? So I, I, um, like I think about, I don't know. I think about technology in a weird way. So like um, generative design is, is, is an interesting aspect. It really is. But we think we think about like construction technology and we kind of like Dave was saying earlier, we kind of leave off at like, oh, hey, collaborate or a uh, um, uh, clash detection. Right. Like, oh, hey, but there's another aspect of it. Right. You can do sequencing. You can do all this sort of stuff. But what you're not capturing is what the different phases and options are in the sequencing piece. But you're actually capturing this stuff. You're actually doing this uh, um, uh, sequencing. Uh, you called it something else earlier. I apologize. Um, uh, simulation. Sorry, I apologize. But the simulation component to actually see and actually get the best in, you know, figure out which path is the best. Because uh, as you said, you know, it really does take a human to kind of go back and say, OK, actually, this this path does make the most sense. I like this path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is that, like, like you said, right? You know, what? Unfortunately, you know, we've been really technology starved, right, in our field, and so a lot of like solutions that claim they're a technology solution is nothing more than a bunch of forms that you fill out, right? And so, like, you know, th- those are powerful and they can do a great job. But for me, what I've really sort of pushed for is like, please, let's let's build out the next generation of like deep tech, right? And one of the you know ways that that I view Alice, and I'm really really proud of that, is like Alice is a platform that enables the application of artificial intelligence, deep learning, neural nets, machine learning, you know, advanced optimization, you know, um, factory physics, all these things from other fields, and you can apply it to construction, right? And so that's I think like you know something that 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 I'm excited to see the sort of next generation of, of, of deep tech tools arrive, you know, in our field. And so that the interesting thing about, you know, generative construction, right, is that, you know, just like, you know, in other, other applications, right, the SAP 2000 didn't eliminate structural engineers, right? What it does mean is that the structural engineer doesn't sit there and spend hours and hours, you know, doing, um, you know, a discrete element uh, calculations, right? Um, with, you know, Revit, we didn't eliminate architects. They just spend more time on, on, on looking at 3D models and seeing if what they have in their head actually, you know, looks right, you know, um, the same with Alice, right? What these technologies do is, is again, with Alice, you, 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 today you spend, you know, 60, 70% of your time crunching these stupid constraints. It's boring. Like why would anybody want to spend their time, you know, redrawing arrows on a P6 schedule? Like it, it, it sucks, right? Instead of redrawing the arrows, I'll just say, hey, add a crane, add a delay, hit resimulate, and let me kind of analyze the results. So I'm spending a lot less time in the boring crunching stuff and a lot more time 
in the value add and the analysis and the gut sense checks and that kind of thing, right? And, and that's that's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, I, I really, I, you is. know, we come to us and say, hey, I never thought I'd, I'd say this, but I like scheduling, you know, you know, and I'm like, but that's that's the biggest compliment you could give us. So, so like you mentioned, that. I like it too. I mean, you did, so you mentioned something we always try to end close with what you're looking forward to. And as we start to wrap up, I'm curious, um, what is it that you feel like we still need to solve to get to the next evolution? Or what's the next piece really for, for Alice to, to push forward and, you know, take over the world, you know, that sort of stuff. It's my pinky in the brain, you know, imitation. You guys can't see it. Sorry. <laughs> exactly what went through my head there. <laughs> I, I was on it. The- the beautiful thing about this this game or this era that we're living in, right, is like I said, there's a new ecosystem that's coming. It's not a, a one person or one company game, right? And it's not even a one type of company. It's not software companies or construction companies. There's a lot of folks that will get involved in it, right? And so what is slowly happening is you're digitizing the process, right? What I can tell you is that for you to digitize, you know, generative simulation, right, generative construction simulation has taken, you know, probably 200,000 hours of R&D time, right, for you to digitize, uh, you know, uh, bidding, right, takes, you know, 50,000 of R&D time, for you to digitize robotics, right, you know, probably takes, you know, 150, 200,000, you know, hours, or like, every one of these pieces, right, takes a lot of time and effort and talent and energy and love and passion, all those things, right, so, you know, by definition, it's not a one person or one company game, Right. You know, people spend a lot of time specializing and build a piece of the puzzle. The integration of those pieces it's, is what is sort of awaiting us. Right. And the, the more the integration, the more the efficiencies or synergies that it unlocks. Right. And that's kind of what's going to happen, you know, in, in, our, in our field. So from an Alice perspective, you know, we've just launched the manage feature, which allows you to update progress, reschedule on the fly. Right. You now have the ability to export with P6. We've release this thing called driving constraints, which is really cool. Like not only do we calculate the critical path, but why is something on the critical path? And that's kind of a, a really cool thing to think about, which is, is this critical because of labor or because of equipment or because of carpenters or because of precedence or what, you know, what is the reason this thing is critical, right? And if I know the reason, then maybe I can alleviate that reason, right? And make it non-critical, right? And so, you know, things like selective objectives, right? is something that we've released and are releasing the ability to tell the software hey minimize time minimize duration minimize total number of resources minimize time on site you know and so on and so forth you can really set the algorithm to kind of squeeze out performance the way you want it to right um what we're going to be releasing soon is integrations right uh, integrating alice with with other sort of products especially site management software right um communication through the the, the construction tool right and so that's sort of the, the short term for Alice and, and the long term, you know, like I said, I think just what's happening in our field, you know, if you look around, like the digitization of various aspects of, of construction, right? And then the integration of those um, and then the the interplay between the digital and the real worlds. And that's the part that I think is still really, really nascent, right? The digitization piece, like that's taken off, like it's really really in at full steam i would say you know um the inter in, the in, the inter, the sort of uh integration or the the interaction that's the word i'm looking for the interaction between the digital world and the real worlds 
that's super nascent. That's new. And I'm really curious to see what is the sort of next gen of, of startups and ideas that are going to be addressing that. Right. And there's a few out there. I, I don't think I've seen anything yet that's really kind of knocked out of the ballpark, but that's what innovation is about. Right. I mean, yeah, it doesn't look like 100 percent. Now I'd give it three years, give it four years, put yeah. somebody you know, who's super passionate about the idea, you know, and she's just like, no, I'm going to go out and, and prove everybody wrong and raise a bunch of money and work 18 hours a day. And, and you know, four years down the line, suddenly everybody's like, holy cow, like this looks amazing, you know. And that's that's the beautiful thing about it, right? That's what innovation is about. It's going to get there. And whoever picks up Katera's technology in the end is, I'm I'm really happy to see that. I don't know if you got to see their piece. They had this platform that was kind of like a generative design application using their supply chain pieces, but it actually did all the costing and like tell them how much their project uh, estimated change by. So uh, I don't know. There's some cool stuff out there. Um, you know, that said, though, I do have a question for you, uh, Renee. Uh, as as Alice, you know, seems to solve more complex problems, who are the the most beneficial users? Like who who you who do you foresee using the the Alice platform, or or what size what size projects rather use the Alice platform? What kind of problems are they solving? You know, what's the the general scope? Is it all over the map? Is it like hundred million and up? I'm just curious. Uh, you get an yeah. idea. So that's something that's sort of, you know, we're all engineers, right? So we, we went off and built this thing and we're like, hey, it works for anything, right? We've, we've run, I think, $12 million parking lot, $3.7 billion airport and everything in between. Billion dollar data centers, uh, hospitals, shopping malls, you, you name it, right? And the software works like a charm. Um, what, what, you know, as engineers, we didn't think about it. it was like, wait, but, the, you know, it's not the, the technology or the tool, the software itself, but the way it's being used. So it turns out that, you know, the, the software starts to make sense at about $100 million and up in complexity, right? Uh, the other thing that we realized was that um, infrastructure, right, where they're using production rates, where they have detailed, you know, resource-loaded uh, schedules, right, uh, in pre-construction, right? With the release of the managed piece, right, we've now seen a revived and healthy interest and in successful back in the commercial sector, Right. Um, folks in commercial, right, that are using it and manage are saying, oh, great, like I can do my three-week lookheads quickly. I can look at my uh, labor resourcing, right? I can look at, uh, you know, increased control, right, if anything goes wrong, right? So those are sort of the use cases that we're seeing with, with, with the software. And, you know, the, the thing that, like, I didn't mention, but like, like I said, you'll tend to see somewhere on average 17% reduction in durations and about 13% reduction in labor and equipment. Those are remarkable numbers. We're, you know, with this new infrastructure bill that's about to get passed, and you mentioning uh, the infrastructure component, I feel like, you know, this is the time, you know, get out there in front of in front of some folks. Uh, I know I'm going to be bringing you guys up in some conversations. I'm really excited. Uh, you truly know your craft. Um, as somebody who came from being a civil engineer, a rebel civil engineer at that, um, we chatted previously. This wasn't on this podcast episode, but we were chatting about fobs that you built or, or were involved with i guess uh, you'd built a lot of bars for for the british and <laughs> that sort of stuff yeah uh, uh, i remember you had a, a, a staple at that uh what was it jalalabad right uh i was in kabul but i worked in in, in kunduz mazar sharif herat 
Yeah, I did a did a job like an eleven hour drive into northern Afghanistan, which is was a lot of fun. First job I ever had as a project manager was building a bar out of a crashed airplane. Yeah. Was, yeah, we had this this this, this colonel in the, in the German army who who had these like zany ideas. It was always like, no man, like trust me, I swear to God, there's no there's not a, a group of like fifty you know Afghan artists that are dying to come and paint these pretty murals on your walls. I swear to God, <laughs> I know you've got this vision. I really get this. But can we focus on maybe fixing the the RPG attack in your, in your runway first? You know. And he'd be like, yeah, 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 we need to do that too. But here's like, you know, it was like, okay, I, I guess like in the other day, you got to keep yourself, sa- you know, whatever you need to keep yourself sane, you know, who am I to judge? It's morale, keep the morale high. That's it. <laughs> That's right. Dave, you didn't have any beer on your bases, did you? Oh, no, good lord. <sighs> We had some St. Pauli's girl non-alcoholic, but that stuff tasted like some pickle juice. And then I just, I could not see, like, one of my guys, he tried down in so many of them. And I'm, I'm just watching him like, I can't, I don't understand. You're not going to get drunk off of it. All you're going to get is full. Like, I don't yeah. understand consuming that much beer without getting a buzz. Nope. <laughs> That's the difference between the American, you know, armed forces, zero alcohol. Absolutely. Not a drop. Yeah. The Brits, they get two cans of beer a day. All right, that's what they get. <laughs> and then the Europeans are like, oh, you can get drunk as much as you want. <laughs> it's like on the Europe joining the military. Yeah, yeah. It's like if I'm gonna get shot, you know, I, 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 I think I'd want to be a little drunk, you know. But then on the other hand, <laughs> like, fuck the guys to protect me from getting shot. Like, no, you, you guys should not be drinking this. You guys should not be right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like choosy poison, I guess, right? Heck yeah. Well, Renee, thank you so much for coming on. Um, really, it was it was a treat to have you on and, and to talk with this about you. I really, um, as Joe said, you know, he's going to watch it, but I know I'm going to be watching you guys too to see, you know, how the industry changes and how you really affect, you know, that change and how, you know, that deep tech really gets further into construction to help our processes, help our workflows and, you know, keep our projects on time and on budget. If you're up for it, Renee, I think we should have you on again in a few months, maybe after some bills get passed, some new tech gets released, uh, some new projects get underway. I'm I'm really excited to, to talk more about this. I'm Dave and I, we chat like uh, we, we ramble on and on and on. I don't know how, how many of our episodes you've listened to in the past. But we ramble on and on and on. Heck, we've gone for like two hours before just talking construction technology. So I feel like this is like. This is just a, a pause in the conversation. I want to continue this at a later date. Yeah. I hey, I love talking to you guys. I love talking about this stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it's just fun. You know, I just like riffing about, you know, construction, what's going on and what I'm seeing. And I mean, it's, it's just that, like, we are currently, as far as I know, the sexiest thing, you know, happening. Right. You know, <laughs> there, like, there, there is not no other field that's going through what we're going through. Right. This is just like monumental, you know. And it's, you know, it's not like 15 years and, and, and the dust will settle, right? You got, you know, 10, 15 years and, and that's it, right? And so like, you know, like now, like is the time to be in construction, right? Like, you know, anybody that's in construction, like now's the time to stick around and, and kind of, you know, play the game. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. There's, um, there's a lot of actually cool, interesting statistics about this, about the the state of what we're in today. 
you know, just five years ago, we were the laggards and across the country, across the all industries, we were the laggards as far as con- uh, technology adoption. Um, and now we're starting to creep up there. Uh, there's a lot of focus and eyes on us, especially as VCs and venture capitalists. Uh, I see VCs and venture capitalists, same thing. VCs look at us and they're like, oh, my gosh, yeah, there's there's, you know, there's a lot of great stuff here and they're going to solve some great problems, especially as getting back to what I said earlier about the growth of, you know, of the population, ailing infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. blah. But beyond that, sustainability, um, dealing with waste, what, what was this, like 25% of all waste or 40% of all waste, some insane number. Yeah, it's 40% uh, construction. of construction projects. Yeah. Oh Nuts. my gosh. It's waste. It blows my mind. Yeah. So it's like, we, we've got some great problems to solve, man. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's it's literally, and you're gonna start seeing that changing, right? You know, never mind the robotics revolution, right? That's coming at us in probably you know five years, right? I mean, it's happening today, right? But I think it's gonna be in full swing in you know five plus years time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I agree. Well, thank you again, and everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of Brewing with Bim. Dave, Joe, always a pleasure talking to you guys, and yeah, have a great day. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. Thank you, Renee. Bye-bye.